Well, once again, you've clicked on Behind the Buzz, a public fit theater company's occasional podcast discussing the myriad details that make up the production of our season of plays and readings. This is episode number two of season number two. And today we'll be talking about our upcoming stage reading of Brandon Jacobs Jenkins' dark, dark dark comedy, Gloria. Uh, I'm Joe Kukin, producing director here at APF, and as always, I'm joined by artistic director Emery Perez. Hi there. Hello, and later on, uh, we'll be talking with APF company member Jake Staley, who's directing this reading, and with Gabrielle Silveroli, one of the six performers in the cast. But first, I want to point out that this is really only the second time that we will be talking about a reading and not a fully staged production. We had a great conversation with Lauren Gunderson at the end of last season about INU, but that leads me to the question, Anne-Marie, why do we keep doing these readings? I mean, they're free to the public. We've we've upped the budget somewhat this year, so at the end of the day, they're, they're actually costing us a little bit of money. Why are we still so invested in the readings? Well, I think free is is one of the reasons we want people to actually see theater, and we have a nice partnership with uh, the library district here in Las Vegas. And um, what we've done is we've picked really strong literary works, strong plays, Pulitzer Prize winning plays or plays uh, um, written by Tony Award winning playwrights so that our community has an opportunity to hear hear these words, hear these words, not only hear them, but see them and see, see them lightly staged. That's one reason uh, why we continue to do them. Um, also, it gives APF an opportunity to look at a play maybe for a future season. Um, a, three or four of our readings have ended up in our main stage season before. So I kind of think of it as like you have a sketch drawing and then you have your masterpiece, right? And when we see the sketch drawing, we go, oh, yeah, we really like that. We'd like to um, put a little bit more time and investment in, into a fully stage production, which is costs a lot more money, costs a lot more time, costs a lot more investment. And so it gives us an opportunity to really look at at these stage readings and make that decision. So, so when you when you pick a season, right? When when we we put our our long list together, we whittle it down to the to the short list. How do you sort of balance out the decision between choosing a show for the readings as opposed to fully mounting a show? Is there a, a, a decision making process that goes into maybe moving a show into the readings column versus into the production column? Well, with the readings, you can take more risks. Yeah. Uh, um, and I, I'm really proud of this year's uh, season for the readings because there's a lot of representation. Also, the cast for Gloria is a much younger cast than we usually have. So we, we have a, a, a lot of new people who are working for APF, and I feel uh, really, really happy about that. Um, also, there's a lot of representation in Gloria as well. You know, there's people of color uh, in, in that show, and, and that's important. And so that was one of the reasons why we chose Gloria, and that's one of the reasons why we've chosen other readings in this season. Yeah, is cast size, is that, that's, I mean, we don't have to spend nearly as much money on well, bigger casts. So we move them to the readings, is that what you're telling me? Mm, no. That's un- not fair, really. No, that's- unfortunately, with COVID this year, all of our shows are, have small casts, and that's by design because we just – the smaller the cast, the, the less we have uh, to worry about in terms of COVID uh, protocols. Yeah. Well, I have to say, too, I think we get we get a access to sort of a different audience. We have more access to the libraries, um, 
set audience. We get strictly, a lot of folk. yeah, strictly. There are people who just there are patrons uh, who strictly just come to our readings and do not come to our fully staged productions for several years. It takes us some time to really generate that interest to get them to commit to to paying for a theater ticket, which is a, is a little bit is not a little bit, but a lot more expensive. Um, but once we get them hooked into the magic and the love of live theater, then um, over time, they're willing to to make that investment. We, so they, our process in putting the readings together has evolved um, over the years as well. I know when we first uh, began this whole process, you know, we would spend a couple, two weeks in rehearsal, maybe with a stage reading. And it was pr- usually a little bit, le- a little bit more than, uh, yeah. uh sta- you know, scripts on easels and, and, uh, music stands <laughs> and people stepping forward and speaking. And we've gotten a lot of comments that, that the readings lately are really just one or two steps away from fully mounted productions. Is that, has that been conscious? Has that been a conscious decision in, in I evolving think it, in that direction? Uh, it really in the past, uh, ended up on who uh, depended on the director. Yeah, that's uh, true. So if the director was really invested in that process by the time that stage reading um, was set before an audience, you would see those actors mostly off book, only referencing their script, you know, a couple of times during the, during the show. And then we'd have other uh, directors who would come in for a one week and direct a show over five days. And it, it really just depended on the director. But over the last year we made a conscious effort to um to provide more funding for uh the readings because we have a really nice relationship with the the library district they've here. been great for us and yeah. we should take a moment to shout out mm-hmm. to uh suzanne scott at the Las Vegas Clark County Library at District. At the Las Vegas Clark County Library <laughs> District. They have been uh, just ridiculously cooperative and um, supportive in, in, in the stuff that we've been doing. We've been there for how many years now? I would say five. Five years, I five think, years? out yeah. there. And they've moved us this this season from, we, we were in the Jewel Box, which is their smaller black box space, a great space, but it, it was a little bit limited. We we were stuck with 200 people. And for the, for the la- four of the last five years, we were filling that place to the brim, literally. They've moved us into the big space this season for all four readings. We're in the larger theater Yeah, that there. space seats 399 people. The Jewel Box seats about 100 people. And because of COVID, uh, and because of our size of our audiences, we've we've moved into the larger space for both reasons. Well, we've done a couple of things too. We've moved into that space, but we've also mm-hmm. extended for three of the four readings. We've extended performance dates as well. Mm-hmm. We're not these used to be just one-offs, and it was catch it if you can, and if you didn't make it, sorry, we'll see you at the next one. This season, we're trying something different. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I I really value the readings. I I think that's where, like I said before, that's where we take risks. That's where we start working with new directors, new designers. Uh, And the product is overwhelmingly exceptional. I'm very proud of that programming. And so we want to make sure that more people are seeing theater. Uh, Many people do not have access to theater because of money, because of time, because they have children, because of so many reasons. And so we want to give people the opportunity, every opportunity we can, to see theater and cultivate that interest. And so that's why we've moved not from one day, but to two. As long as we're giving shout outs, I want to go back and just give another shout out to to Lauren Gunderson, Mm -hmm. who sparked a lot of these topics with you and I. We were, were, Mm -hmm. she was very clear about. Yeah, she told us. 
uh, we have to go and ask the people who are not coming to the theater why they're not coming. Sure. That we can't just make those decisions ourselves and make assumptions. We and that's, that's yeah. changed a lot of our scheduling this year. It's, it's, yeah. We've added the matinee for the readings with the exception of, of Stop Kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, scheduling just wouldn't allow that. But all the other readings are Friday night, mm-hmm. Saturday matinee. But we've also changed our, our production schedule as well. You want to just chat about that real, real quick? Sure. Uh, and when we're in a, a main stage setting, we have a Friday night performance, a Saturday matinee, a Sunday matinee, and a Monday night uh, performance. Uh, that way we give um, gig workers and, and those workers who work on the strip an opportunity also to see our theater. And that would be the, our Monday night show. So, and, and that's all for all four weeks. That's not just a one-off. That's yes. for all... The entire yes. run of the show. So really varied uh, time schedules so that it gives more opportunity to see theater. And again, like you said, it's just a chance to try and get more people in to see theater where possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you talked about the increased budget for these readings, but where's that money going? Um, well, that money's going to the director. It's going to every person on the uh, on that production team, it's, designers. It's always, yeah, it's always been one of our mandates at, <laughs> yes. at the Public Fit that we want to pay our artists. Right. But um, in the past, our readings have been voluntary. And so we just we went to our board of directors and we said, hey, we should follow through with that same idea with our readings. And so even though the budget is much smaller, <laughs> much smaller, I'm here to say, <laughs> yes, uh, everybody uh, on, on those teams is, is getting paid. Well, I think, and, but we're also adding costume design, which means mm-hmm. costumes. We're adding set design, which means sets. Right. Uh, I would say that it's not a fully realized costume design or a fully realized right. set design. But it's like an impression, much like a sketch, right? It, so there, there is, there are design meetings. There's concept, concepts at play, but it's not um, as fully realized as you would see in a main stage produ- production. Well, let, let's bring Jake and, and 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 Gabby into the conversation. As long as we're talking about um, production budgets and and design work, because you know Jake had to go through the same sort of production meetings that that we've gone through with our with our bigger shows, dealing with designers, dealing with with images and and elements and impressions. Uh, so let me just I- introduce them really quickly. Jake, hey Jake, hi, that's how you Jake doing? over there. Jake Staley received his BFA. <laughs> In theater and dance, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you had to be in theater. About that. Don't talk and about that. Don't talk dance. about that. Don't talk about that. So one no, more no, time, no, no, go ahead. just so that everyone, it, for those of you at home taking notes, please oh. write this down. Jake Staley received his BFA in theater and dance. Oh no, yeah. At the University of Wyoming, then he moved to Florida like you do, to complete his MFA in acting at Florida State University, a solo conservatory for actor training, mm-hmm. where he uh, spent some time abroad, actually, studying in London with that program, yeah? Correct, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have seen him over at Cockroach in Still Dance the Stars, but you certainly saw him here at a public fit in a number of stage readings, but also in Elephant Man, and most recently, Jake was in August Osage County. Hey, Jake. Hey. Gabrielle Silveroli is making her APF debut Hello, hello, hello. Here with Gloria. Uh, she's playing Kendra slash Jenna in the play. We'll talk about that slash in a, in a, in a little bit yeah. because I think those slashes are important. Um, 
Ken, she's playing Kendra slash Jenna in the play. Gabrielle comes to us from Phoenix, but but she's been here long enough to be considered a native. She was only little when she when she showed up. She has a BA in theater from UNLV, uh, focusing on stage and screen. Is yes, that right? Yeah. Uh, you might have seen her over there in Legally Blonde, Julius Caesar, and and Love's Labor's Lost. One of the toughest. Shakespeare mm-hmm. comedies, I think. Yeah, it yeah. was it was a tough one. It's a tough one, and and you might have seen her on the strip too. She was in Tony and Tina's wedding when it was still yes. uh, hanging around. Gabby, can I call you Gabby? Yeah, yeah, Gabby, yeah. Thanks for thanks for showing up, Jake. I'm going to start with you. We were sure. talking about um, you know increasing the budgets a little bit for the for the readings, which means you had a little bit more responsibility in dealing with designers than not just the script and actors. So yeah, you were in production meetings. Pretty quickly. Yeah, pretty early on, we were dealing with um, costumes, sets, uh, and sound primarily, and a builder for the sets. Um, And it's been very exciting. Uh, we, We got planning early and we've had continual meetings as the weeks go by, usually a weekly check in to see where we're at, um, getting things scheduled and, and it's, it's been some upkeep and, um, that's been exciting. It's been a bit of a learning curve for me too. Cause. Well, let me ask you about uh, that. Yeah. You've been, you've been, in, I interrupted you, but I'm going to ask no, you anyway. You, you've been involved in a couple of productions with Anne Marie and, yeah. and me. And I'm wondering if, if our process has informed you at all or whether you've thrown all that aside and just jumped in with both feet with your own sense of what it is you want to do or whether you brought some stuff from from uh, the dance program at uh, Wyoming? It's mainly the dance program. It hasn't been beneficial until now. It's finally paying off. I hope you, you saved those jazz slippers, yeah, I assume. It's just moving out of the way. No, uh, actually, there is a little bit of that. Um, um, obviously, the, I've been involved with a couple different theater companies in town. And when I got involved with a public fit and we had these meetings, whether it was in your guys's living room set up with these zoom meetings pre COVID, you know, for elephant man, I think was the first time I went, Oh, this is serious. This is a legitimate process. Um, you want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's essentially, I mean, you guys have done, you know, you know, however many months worth of work before and the actors are brought in kind of day one, if not day one, definitely day two or three to sit down and watch all of these designers present their finished designs and the actors go, okay, this is the world we're stepping into. And you feel there's a sense of, of, okay, this is a step above. We got to up our game as actors. That's how I felt both times. I went, Oh, this is serious. Let's go. Um, and it's, it's, it's very good. It's, it's a great way to get people together and have a, a single vision and a single determined goal to be reached. So that to, to be given that opportunity, especially cause this is, I, did you do it for past readings? And maybe I wasn't a part of it, but this idea of like design meetings and, and I was like, okay, we're going to do this and I'll, I'll have a vision. And, and the designers have been lovely to just uh, go, okay, I can see that vision. Let me take those ideas that you're presenting and work with them and then present you back what I, what I feel like you've given me and we can come up with together. Uh, I'm glad you say that because you're yeah. actually the guinea pig for this. Yeah. This process. <laughs> no, you, you, are, you are the first in terms of, of readings, um, as Amory was saying earlier, you know, this is the sort of first time we're playing with this experiment of, of upping the budget a little bit, bringing in the designers, forcing you guys to have these design meetings, which forced you to come up with, with images and, and ideas. No, and, uh, no, I wanted to. That's what yeah. I'm oh, saying. For, no, I, I don't. 
totally did. Like it's uh I knew what the 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 goal to be reached was, but it's also it's very important to do those things. Yeah. Uh so it can bring everyone together and you're not as as Anne Marie put it to me at one point before we even got started, it's not a rock soup uh anymore. It's not okay, you bring this, you bring this, you bring this. It's we've got uh, the ability to make this, um, elevated. So we're doing that. So Gabby, I'm going to jump to you really quick. Does that, does that resonate? Does that, did that make any impact on the, uh, rehearsal process for you? Do you I, think? I think so. I think especially once we got Kendra and she is responsible for doing costumes. I mean, once we were able to see like concept wise, like that sort of thing. And then even just the way that the set was set up, I think it does make a difference to get us all on the same page and just to get us focused and, it was also, at least for me anyway, in my character, just seeing the sort of costumes that she wanted us in, being like, OK, I have envisioned this in that sort of correct way. And we've all been on the same page and working towards that same goal. So, yeah, for sure. Well, it, it, I, I think just from my perspective, it, all, it, it feels good knowing that there is a uniform yeah. thought in place and you're not just sort of making shit up as right. you go along. It's just along. nice to know that like, <laughs> you're, a, you're a team and you're doing the same thing and you're looking at the same thing and yeah. you don't feel crazy because you know that it's all sort of just confirmed by everybody that we're working on the same thing. Well, and a play like this too. So let's talk about Gloria a little bit. A play like Gloria... Um, uh, you know, I, for me, Jacobs Jenkins has really written a, a very rich, symbolic play in a lot of ways. It, it comments, I don't know, on America. Comments on a lot of a things. Lot yeah. of things. Yeah, it, a lot of things. It's a very things. layered yeah. play. So I think without the, that sort of prep, you might be a little bit at sea because mm. there's so much there to, to to work with. You know, Gabby, let me since we just started with you. What what was your first reaction to the play? I don't know if you'd read it before you would audition for us. I, or, of course, I did. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, well done. Well I done. did my yes. actor work. I read. Actors should I did. read plays. Uh, my first impression. I mean, that plot twist. I don't want to give anything away, but I mean, right after that first act, just being like, "Holy cow, this is a lot different than I thought it was going to be." and fully understanding that this was a play that had something to say. And yeah, and there there is, I, spoilers or no spoilers, there is a pretty big event that happens right at the end of Act One that really sort of shapes the rest of the play. But it doesn't, I mean, it's a surprise, but kind of, because the the, the beginning of the play... Hints at it. Yeah, yeah. doesn't Actually, it? throughout Act One, there's, there's plenty of... Plenty of hints. And there's there's a thing right now that I'm uh, um, dealing with where I'm like, do I want to play that or do I want to underplay that? And how much of the hand are we going to give away here? Um, what's going to make you what's going to make your decision for you? Uh, uh, seeing a few more runs, I think. Is this too on the nose? Uh, right now, I'm in the process of kind of pulling back from it to go. I want it to be more of a. Uh, a surprise. What was your reaction when you first read the play? Honestly, I remember being really invested in the first act for, for the fact that these were, and, and I've kind of grown out of this idea, but the, the fact that this was kind of a millennial play yeah. and I was like, Oh yeah, it's the people up above us. It's the, it's those baby boomers and those, those traditionalists or sometimes the Gen Xers are keeping us down. And, and if only we were in charge, everything would be better. Cause there's, there's elements of that. Um, pretty he heavy actually from, from Kendra's character and, and, and yet then when it, the shift happened, I was like, Oh, this is entirely different. This is, this is, uh, this is about something deeper, I feel. And honestly, I think the play then points to the opposite of my point of what I just stated about the, the generational differences. So um, it becomes more universal at that point. Yeah, I think it's and I've I've grown to uh, look at this play in a way where I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah we're all the same. <laughs> 
it feels like a very American play though to me. It feels like oh, yeah. more of a statement of America. And here's yeah. where we here's where we pause for a second and I turn to Anne Marie and I ask her to describe to us what the play is about because she'll be able to do it without spoilers and she can tell us what what glory is. Tell us about that we've been talking about this play and no one out there who has read it yet knows what it's about. So so tell give me your elevator pitch, Anne Marie. What is Gloria about? It's about a bunch of awful, ambitious people. <laughs> that's, that's fair. But let's, let's Better, start with, it's really cynical and really funny. Let's start with something a little bit more basic. Where is it set? Set in an office in New York. <laughs> well, that's one. Yes, that one is set in an office in New York in, in cubicles, right? Cubicles, yes. Yeah. 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 Other questions? Well, I don't just say. <laughs> it's a marketing, it's a, an office of, of marketing for a, a big magazine in New York. It's modern day. Um, it's er, it's earlier in the morning. Well, not super, super early. It's morning time and people are arriving at work and the hustle and bustle of, of a work office environment. See, that feels very American to me. The, the, it just, is. As soon as yeah, someone says cubicles, there. I think, yeah, people at cub- millennials Starbuck, at cubicles. Starbucks is referenced. Starbucks, yeah. Luna Facebook Bars. Live. Yeah. Vitamin water. So it's yeah. so these are office workers, uh, <laughs> office workers stuck in, in cubicles, mm-hmm. and then as we've alluded, Act One ends with a, with a remarkable incident. What, what happens in Act Two to these people? Uh, see now this more ambition, yeah, yeah, more, more ambition. horrible well, people. We, we get to see how these characters, two characters in particular, well, th- actually three of them, how they've uh, how this thing that happens at the end of Act One has <laughs> shifted uh, them as people, um, and if they've made true changes in their lives, have they? Has this been an awakening for them? Has it left them worse off, better off? Uh, are have their goals changed or have they remained the same? See, that's very lofty. It's a very lofty director thing to say, but it's also about people trying to capitalize on this event as well. Absolutely. In terms of one of the American angle, this is an opportunity Absolutely. to make a buck yeah. off of this, this thing that's happened. Yeah. Um, well, so Gabby, is this a, is this a comedy or a tragedy? Oh, I, I've been saying dark, dark. I've used three darks. I, I say yeah. dark, dark, dark comedy. Yeah. I I would probably stick with the dark, dark, dark comedy aspect because I think it's hilarious. But yes, it is also tragic. So dark, dark, dark comedy feels like probably the best way to describe it, (laughs) I would say. Yeah. Where's the humor? Act one. (laughs) Uh, Act one. So comfort comfort the humor in act one if it's not, if yeah, there's no humor uh, in act two, so go home. Act one. Intermission, is that the Act three actually brings back uh, some of the humor as well. Again, without giving anything away. Are you doing two intermissions for this We are not. Okay, so you said act three. Fortunately, act two and act three are about the same length as the entirety of act one. So What's your running time? 145. Oh, right on. Without an intermission. So intermission run 15, you'll be there two hours. Quick two hours of theater. Yeah, And pacing's not. Not an issue. It's an issue that I came in going, okay, we need to make this baby cook, you know? So, um, act, act three though, there's humor is brought back because act two kind of resolves some things and, and gets the audience back on a, okay, I can deal with these characters again, I believe, or deal with this storyline. And then, uh, act three, we kind of see where everything resolves itself, but there's some humor in there that we're infusing, but it's also inherent in the script. You know, I'm finding now, so we, we've, we've plotted out this season two of, of Behind the Buzz. And the idea was that we would do a podcast for every show, every reading, every production. And it's occurring to me now, as we talk about this, that it's hard to really talk about the play 
without throwing spoilers out there. I know. When does right? this this is airing beforehand, right? Oh, yeah, so we, is, we were hoping that this is going to we encourage people to come it? see the we show. Just spoil it. Well, that's right? a question. I mean, I'm going to actually put that out there. We almost now. can't talk think? much about anything if we don't. <laughs> I'm wondering how much I mean, we can talk about. We can put, we can put a spoiler careful. alert at the front of this episode. Or I'll put a spoiler alert now and from say, here on out, we're if spoiling you want, the show. If you okay, well, that's a, that's a great idea. If you yeah. want to be surprised by Gloria, want to be completely surprised, come back to this. Hit, hit after. pause right now. Put it back in in your in your podcast queue. Come see us uh, on October 22nd or or 23rd, and then come back and. Hey, I'd like to take a quick moment here to let everyone know what's coming up at a public fit. In a spurt of confident optimism, we, we've planned out our 2020-2021 season, and we could not be more excited. We've added a second performance to the readings, a uh, Saturday matinee that will follow our regular 7 o'clock Friday show, uh, continuing our wonderful partnership with the Las Vegas Clark County Library District. So Dominique Morisau's dynamic drama Skeleton Crew runs January 28th and 29th, and the heartbreaking Stop Kiss by Diana Sun will run for just one night on, on March 25th. Uh, we'll conclude this year's reading season with Will Arbery's incredible, controversial, <laughs> incredibly controversial uh, Heroes of the Fourth Turning on June 24th and 25th. Um, and now, as always, admission to the readings is free of charge, but you know we still recommend arriving a bit early just to take advantage of the best seating. We'll be returning to our main stage at the usual place in the winter with Craig Wright's ridiculously inventive recent tragic events. It runs February 4th through the 20th. Uh, then our final main stage show, Things I Know to Be True by Andrew Bovell, opens April 1st and runs through the 25th. You really don't want to miss this this collage of movement and, and, and moments. Uh, it's really going to be an unforgettable theatrical experience. Uh, for more information and specific show times or to purchase tickets, please visit us online at apublicfit.org. And, you know, here at, at, at APF, we encourage everyone to get vaccinated, follow the guidelines set forth by the CDC, and, and don't take any unnecessary risks with, with your health. And we'll be doing our level best to make our audiences feel as safe and as comfortable as possible, um, including requiring the continued wearing of masks and enforcing uh, appropriate social distancing. If, the, if there's one thing we've learned in the past couple of years in these days of forced isolation and, and endemic fear, we really need these shared theatrical experiences, these, these emotional stories and now more than ever. I hope you'll join us. And thank you so much for your continued support. So, spoiler alert time, I guess we're going to go on. The end of Act One ends in a incident of horrific violence. Correct. I mean, it's horrific violence, but, and, and this is going to sound kind of heartless, horrific, but familiar. Mass shooting. Violence. A mass, a mass, a mass shooting. shooting. That's what I love about the play, because you think it's one thing, right? And you're, you're learning about all these very competitive millennial uh, office types and you think the play is going one way and then Gloria comes in and surprises us all and shoots everybody up. 
Yeah. yeah it, 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 well, and, and like I say, that seems familiar. And I keep using the term American because I don't hear a lot about a lot of office shootings in France and not so many office shootings in, well, office stabbings. I see that look at them, Paul. I see you looking at me. Yes, they're, they're, it is growing more and more. It's becoming more international. We are having mm-hmm. our effect on the world in this way. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the oh, that was stabby that stabby. Yeah, I think that was, or was that a machine gun? God, I don't even remember. I now. think. Was it? Yeah. I think there was more than just that. Coordinated event. Well, I, okay, so I've I've been shown to be wrong, but I will stand by my comment that it is a very Amer. It feels very American, and if it is yeah. happening around the world, this is something that we are exporting to the world. I feel this attitude is, and maybe that's just a little mm. angry American of me. Am I am I wrong? Gabby, no, what do you I, think? No, I would agree completely, and I think uh, Kendra even has a line in the show where she talks about every other week there's another tragedy, yeah. and it's like we're shooting down everything, and it's almost like. Sometimes when I say that line, I, I almost wonder if she's even affected by all these things she's listing because of how common it is. I mean, because she lists it's like a doctor's office, a kindergarten, a shopping mall. I mean, all of these things. Yeah, like it's a very, a very American play. And the playwright, I think, has written it, especially that way, a commentary on us as a society, as a nation, sort of how desensitized we are to it because it's so familiar to us. Well, it's it's funny as audience members maybe were well, I, the participants in the play don't seem particularly desensitized until they desensitize themselves. They seem to spend a certain amount of time with some characters more than others. Uh, and we talked about Act Two, you know, monetizing this this mm-hmm. incident. Um, again, boy, that just feels American to me. Yeah, me exploiting that, exploiting a tragedy in a way. I mean, it's hinted at in Act One when a famous singer, uh, a fictitious famous singer, dies, and that magazine company is like, "How can we?" exploit this for money and then we have a monologue from lauren going why do people only care about you when you're dead and um there's a lot of interesting takes on it um that is their immediate reaction i forgot about that moment. yeah and i and i wonder too in act two uh um i wonder what the motivations i kind of know what the motivations of kendra and dean are to be like i'm gonna sell this book dean has nothing left and he needs to be a writer and now he's been forced to be the face of this tragedy um, by the media. I mean, this is all fictitious, but, uh, so he has nothing else to do besides tell Gloria's story and he renames his book Gloria. Yeah. Uh, and then Kendra has, is a little more ambitious in the fact that she wasn't even there, uh, at the she's, shooting she's and at she's, Starbucks. she's at Starbucks, <laughs> but now, but then we've also talked about the idea that that would also still be horrifying. Cause she talks about people were being carted away and I didn't know who was in what body bag and who wasn't. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you would j- just, uh, I, I think it's interesting to talk about to this idea of narrative and whose narrative is it? Does Kendra have a right to say her story? Does Dean have a right to say his story? Should it be Gloria's story? Should it be Nan's story? Um, uh, and is that ambition okay or not? Or does it mainly lead to pain and suffering? Which, so yeah. so on, the, on the day that we're recording this, it has been, I think, two days now since it was announced that, that Alex Jones has lost his Sandy Hook lawsuit and is being held responsible for the ridiculous um, vitriol and nonsense that, that suggested that that Sandy Hook was fake and that the the horrible uh, consequences of that of family members being literally threatened with death for faking you know literal child murder this feels a lot more topical 
now because here we have people who are uh, in in the play um, writing books about this very real uh, incident, very real to them, and they come at it from different perspectives. Is that is that? Um, yeah, it's a, yes, yes. Yeah, one perspective is is talking about the victims and saying we shouldn't be talking about the perpetrator. We've got somebody that's talking about their own experience as if they were intimately involved with it. Actually, both because Kendra talks about it as well. She has to talk about the victims and Nan talks about it as if she saw everything, but she was behind a, a glass window that that was fogged up. So she she wasn't as affected as Dean. And then the one that is most affected, Dean can't even get his story out because he's so traumatized. Well, by and, the that, event. and that's part of my question too, is that we have so many different perspectives, people who were literally there, people who were literally killed, people who were doing the literal killing, but also Kendra who comes back and witnesses the aftermath, but the, the public at large, New York had a different reaction. I, you know, we all had a reaction. To, I'm bringing up more horrible tragedies, a different reaction to 9-11 when you were yeah. in New York or the Bronx than when you were in here in Las Vegas. We had a similar reaction, but it was different. And and the reaction of sort of people watching these tragedies is also part of the, the play, I think. Yeah. Sorry, Amory had something, but I was well, going to go no, off on a tangent. I was, at, <laughs> I was at your rehearsal the other day and, you know, and I'm watching all of um, your wonderful staging and all of this wonderful characterization that you've created with your actors. And when Gloria comes in and, you know, I know what happens at the end of the first act, I felt really sorry for her, even though she's the one that kills everybody. And I wonder if that's by design of the play or is that by design for you? But uh, here she's the murderer and I feel sorry for her. I I think I've been pushing, because I think you can play it a lot of different ways. I've been playing that she is the that society at large has pushed her to do this, right? That, that, um, she is a product of capitalism (laughs) in a way, which is controversial to say, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, but that she had no other choice that she was playing the game for so long that eventually she just snaps because of the pressures of being 15 years at a job. No one pays attention to her. She's doing these good acts over and over again for people. And then she throws a party when she finally, which I think is actually the inciting incident is she, she saves up her money for 15 years, buys a house and no one is bothered to go because she's kind of weird. Um, and no one will also fire her because they don't fire anyone, you know, um, so they give people f- this false sense of hope. And then, of course, then Lauren has this beautiful monologue in Act 3. Again, spoilers. Um, talking about how, no, you guys all want to put Gloria in a box. You want to put her, you want to think she was creepy or from Florida or that she wore red. So that was somehow a symbol. And people are more complex than that. You know, it's, it's, she was really sweet. She, she knitted for me and she made these things and we can't really know why she did what she did. Um, and so trying to figure these people out, it's all subjective from person to person. The thing I love about this play and it's kind of bleeds over into his other works is everything's subjective. Everything. He really points to subjectivity of people lying to themselves and then telling themselves they believe what they believe. And I, it, everybody has a different point of view and none of them are exactly on the money. Well, there are also no easy answers. It's not easy. It, it's very easy to say, well, Gloria is a product of the business environment. It, mm. It's more than that. Gloria is a product of her own, uh, you know, DNA and, and upbringing. And upbringing well, it, it's yeah. more difficult than that. She's a product of her own personality and her love of cats and knitting. It's more complicated than that as well. Um, yeah. 
Gabby, with, with that sort of level of complication sort of in creating characters, is it hard to, to, to create these people on stage, being forced just because of the nature of the script to create such complicated characters, or is it a, a worthwhile challenge? It's worth. It's a worthwhile challenge for sure, but definitely a challenge. Uh, these characters, it, it, it's difficult to convey like what are they guarding within themselves, right? Because they all are bringing something into the office, like trying to protect something within themselves. So how do you, how do you humanize that? How do you make these really complicated, full people that I think we all sort of know some variation of all these characters right. or have met them or have worked with them? So how do you bring them to life and, you know, celebrate their good qualities while also understanding like, yeah, they kind of suck. Like yeah. they, a lot of their bad qualities are right at the forefront, but you can't, that's not something you can lean on. Otherwise it's, I think it's miserable for the audience that yeah, it's way. Funny. All, I, all of my best friends kind of suck. <laughs> I mean, everyone I know, everyone yeah. I know are wonderful people yeah. and they kind of suck in yeah. some ways. And I think that's a really important um, character for uh, quality for a character to have is yeah. that in some ways people kind of suck. Yeah, for it, sure. Huh? Yeah. I, I was, you know, it's only been recently that we've, um, uh, because of the um, just the way the world is is going these days in the world in which we live in, we've we've only recently in the last couple of seasons put up trigger warnings for yeah. for things in, in shows. I've got a pretty big list on on this one. Yeah, um, uh, violence, gun violence, uh, casual um, racism. Um, what am I missing? Are there? I mean, there's there's a couple. There, there are ooh. things that might really bother folk. Um, in the show. I in, mean, in loud, noises. Loud, loud noises. Loud noises. Loud noises. You know, well, it's going to be shocking loud noises with the gun violence. So, uh, we're, yeah, there will, there will be loud noises in the there's, show. There's cussing if you don't like cussing. Sure, <laughs> language. Yeah, like there's yeah. aggressive, aggressive language. There's no oh, homophobia, yeah. is there? I don't believe no. in the script. I'm just, now I'm just scanning any possible thing. Yeah. I'm like, what are we forgetting? Well, I don't, I don't and again, I'm not, looking, I'm not looking for flaws, you know, to sort of say <laughs> this, is, well, I wouldn't even call them flaws. I would, I'm looking for things to that people should avoid this play because of this list of things yeah yeah i'm just going back to my notion yeah. that this really is a commentary on um, a lot um, of um, things America. Yeah. yeah again and i i'll go down my list casual racism the selfishness of the entrepreneurial spirit the violence the grind of the work ethic and being on the on the treadmill the impact that media hype has on any sort of social situation or any sort of event. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also in the play that element of shock. And if, if you've listened to all of this and, and have uh, um, embraced <laughs> embraced the, the um, um, lack of surprise, uh, that element of shock in, at, the, at, at Act One, I think is necessary to the script. It, it's, it, it does something to the play that, I, but I'm not quite sure why I'm not quite sure what it is. Have you thought about that at all? Jay? Uh, yeah, I just like the feeling of it and I, the logic of it. I'm not sure outside of maybe, cause I know he does some stuff in his other works. That's always like, oh, that's a hot topic. And I know him as a, I don't know him personally as a playwright, but I know his point of view as a playwright is we have these things that we don't like to look at. We have oh, these things yeah. that we really want to turn away from as a society and and not give it a look and pretend it's not there. And then we're not helping heal the situation at all by doing that. So he he likes to look directly into the face of whatever thing that terrifies us and have it on full display. And so to have a, a mass shooting front and center in front of everyone, and then dealing with that post and seeing what happens, I, I think was his, his whole point. 
uh, of the show. So, um, also having gone to your rehearsal, I was really surprised, and I, I think this is in the writing, and I think it's also in your direction. Is um, she, he spends a lot of time in the first act, really um, crafting these these characters, yeah. right? Uh, and um, so you have to invest in character. But then when you create this huge event, I mean, it's a massive event in storytelling. And people are still in, in the play. <laughs> people are still talking about it years later. They're, right. they're still discussing. It's a they know when you say Gloria, they know who you're talking about. Right. The, this massive event where there's this mass shooting. I become so interested in how people are navigating the event that the writing and the directing and the characters that you've created makes me lean in, in, in a really large way. And uh, I'm, I really like that about the story itself. Right. There's another, there's another element just in the structure of the play. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I think you're about that. to hit on it. Go ahead. I no, think this is for your you transition. Are you talking about, you about to talk about the slashes? I was about to talk yeah. about the slashes. So right. it's, it is a, it's a six member cast, but there are 11 yeah. characters. Correct. Nearly everyone. Oh, no, no. There's just one, one that. character that doesn't but one switch. There's yeah. three. So there's 12 characters. Uh, actually, there's the 13. There's, there are, 13, there's more than 13. Six. There's 13. Everyone in, in the play Count with, them. I believe it's 13. Everyone's in, counting right now. Everyone in the play with one exception plays a number of characters. Yep. At least two. Correct. One plays three. Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit. And uh, Amory, uh, give you the thumbs up. She I, says there's 13. I think it's fascinating. I mean, not only is it fun for actors to dive into that, because you're like, I get to play three characters, yeah. not just <laughs> one. Um, but what it's saying about it, because certain characters will recognize, there's one character that Lauren goes from act one to act three and recognizes the same actor playing different characters from act one to act three. And it's like, yeah. oh, she, uh, when he's looking at Callie, he's going, she kind of reminds me of Annie, who, spoiler again, dies at the end of act one. Yeah. And I, I think that's a commentary, uh, at least as far as the, the play is concerned, is that we've built these structures everywhere. We've built these these office environments. And this isn't just an isolated incident, much like the mass shootings aren't an isolated incident. These things happen for a reason. And these people are everywhere. Not the mass shooters, but the 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 environments, the the same archetypes of the the people pleaser or the really ambitious person or the person that's an alcoholic or the person that's this, that or the other. They're replicated. We're not all alone. We're We've got people that are are the same all around us. And I think it points to as well, especially with what he has at the end of Act 3, that what we're missing is the connection. I know that's cliche, but we seldom we tell ourselves the way the world works and we seldom go, you know, I need to connect with somebody else and really think, find out what they think and feel and are experiencing because my experience is not the same as everybody well, else's. It is cliche. And I think that I think that that's part of what he's doing too is that yeah. that cliche is given a tremendous amount of weight yeah. in in the play and it really becomes a focus whereas sometimes it's sort of a an also ran theme in some shows right i think that it's sort of really front and center here and the slashes might have something to do with that you the slashes i keep saying the slashes when i say the slashes i mean <laughs> yeah do that, they not know anything what, what the hell are you yeah, talking what, about <laughs> what is what is joe talking about now the slashes the the, the slashes would be that gabby you play kendra slash 
Jenna. Jenna, yes. yes. And so you, those two characters, mm-hmm. that's what we mean when we say the slashes. Gabby plays Kendra slash Jenna. Those are two very different people. Yes. Similar looking, obviously, because yes. we're not going to put you in a funny hat or change <laughs> a fake nose on you or anything. How do you go from jumping between those those two very different characters? Oh, and we've already man. talked about how complicated and, and complex these characters have yeah. to be. That's Boy, that's extra hard. Yeah, it, it's tough, especially with the transition between Kendra and Jenna, because the gift that I get as the actor from this playwright is I have so much with Kendra. I mean, so much to mine. And I think with Jenna, uh, it sometimes I almost feel like she's like if Kendra grew up, like yeah. it's oh, almost wow. like that's what Jenna is, is Jenna is 40 year old Kendra who has seen like the fruits of her labor sort of come into fruition. I, I still am in the process of trying to differentiate fully Jenna versus Kendra, but I sure. think they, because of the commentary that the playwright is making, I think they sort of live almost in the same sort of energy. Yeah. And there's a strange, the, the sensation I get when I read it or I watch it and, and we've discovered this in the last rehearsal or two, actually with the final moment is a bit of a winking at the audience of Hey, these are the we're the same people, but we're not, and we're making them different. Um, just so people aren't like, wait, they're alive, you know, because that'd, that'd be not good. Um, but the the there's a bit of a wink or just a nod or an acknowledgement that yes, I'm the same person, but I'm not even though I'm a completely different person, almost a memory that's kind of going through. It, it, honestly, as an audience member, this is, again, a subjective viewer experience. When Jenna comes back or when Kendra comes back as Jenna, when uh, um, Devin comes back as Dean, when these people repopulate, I get a joy. There's a sense of, oh, they're getting a second chance or they're getting that we have another opportunity to fix this. Oh, that's interesting. And there's a bit of delight I see in, in seeing them repopulate in Act 3 that I'm like, okay, not all hope is lost. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. Is that in the script or is that just that, I think that's my subjective, subjective experience? Reaction. Yeah, you see, because when I read it I, uh, and I got to Act 3 and they were all back, I was like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, see? I mean, can, here we go again. Yeah. Is that, Are they going to be different? Are they going to be the ones who make the change? Are they going to be the better boomers? I don't know. The be- the I don't boomers. know. Like the, <laughs> like the entire time just talking about it's the guys on top and I look at Jenna and I'm like, all right, Jenna, like you're at the top. Are you going to be any better? Ooh, doesn't sound like it. So you yeah. feel like there's a cyclical Yeah. Yeah, I, I sort of feel like it ends on a cyclical note. I mean, uh, the fact that Lauren recognizes it as well yeah. sort of tells me that it's like, oh man, here we and, go again. And we've got a hint with the printer. I always got to point to the printer oh, opening yeah. and closing the show that the printer jams at the beginning of of the show and the printer jams. Spoiler at the alert. Yeah. Yeah. This this is the the printer jams and everybody's murder. Sorry, it's really, guys. there's so much importance <laughs> to this, but I think that's a nod to, Oh, we've got something wrong in the printer again. We've got something wrong in this copy machine of capitalism of, of these office environments. Something's not working. What's going to happen when things don't work? Um, you know, somebody has got to fix it or somebody has got to pay the price for it. And I, I think that's, the point of opening it and closing it with that is, oh, here we go again. So you're right. I'm you're you're making me lean towards your point. Of view, <laughs> I think you're just a little but more hopeful hope. than I I've am. Yeah, you're just a little more hopeful. I'm a little more, uh, you know, yeah. cynical in the ending. So. Is it, is it, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, Gabby. Huh. What's the, uh, the difference between for you as an actor mm-hmm. for a, a fully staged production mm-hmm. and a, um, a stage reading. Do you feel more confident with having the script in hand? Does it give you different things to focus on? Does it give you an opportunity to, to experiment more? Where do you where do you see the difference? 
I think being an actor with a stage reading that's like, especially one that's like two steps away from like being able to be a full-blown production, you know, it feels like it gives me permission to experiment more when yeah. I get to hold a script in my hand. Yeah. I feel like when I'm working on a show and it's, and it's, we're off book and we have a final dress rehearsal and, and da, 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 it's almost like a lot of pressure to just make sure that whatever's going on is just this most, the most polished thing in the entire world. And there's something that's really fun being able to go in and, you know, I know I have my script and I know that not that it's a crutch, but I know that this element is something that's already taken care of. So now that I don't have to use that energy on being so focused on dialogue, what other choices can I make somewhere else? And what other things can I come up with somewhere else? And it's it just gives me the permission to keep playing, I think, for a lot longer. How important is that for an actor to experiment and, and, and play? Oh, I think it's critical. I think it's one of the most important things. I also think it's like one of the reasons why I do it. I guess I won't speak for all the actors, right? But it's why like... Why not? They're not here. Speak for them. Right. It's just like, why else would we speak do this? Speak for Blake. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Blake. Speak like, for Blake. Why else would we do this if we weren't having fun and making other choices? And, you know, especially if we're in a safe space where we can do all those things, I mean, I think the most fun rehearsal I had was like the other night where I was so exhausted. I honestly didn't remember half of my blocking, but I was just doing new stuff and yeah. it was fun. And some of those things worked, some of them didn't, but sure. some of them did. And it, to be able to discover new ranges of the show by allowing yourself to play and discover, it's so important. So a note to student actors, stay yeah. exhausted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, actually, there's some truth to that because yeah. you're getting rid of any sense of fear or any right. sense of like care of, are they going to like me or not? Right. I have that problem as an actor. I'm like, I need, I need to make sure you like me by the end of this. Right. And that's then, my, that's and my then next question I'm for like, you. Oh, okay, great. That's my next question for you, Jake, yeah. is that, that, I mean, we've sort of, yanked you out of the the acting company to, yeah. to direct this yeah and thank you for us no thank you <laughs> really because i get to sleep in now on a couple of days a week which is nice um but have you used your your do you bring your your uh skills as an actor into the directing uh, room is there yes some, oh thanks gabby <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. does jake bring his skills as an actor into yeah the directing room? for sure well it's funny because he'll be like i don't want to give you a line reading or like blah blah, blah. But, but it's it's <laughs> it's really fun having a director who's an actor first because the way that he will explain things or talk to us i mean i see it with all six of us like the way you describe things we get it you know, and it, it's, it, it makes sense. So yeah, I'll let you answer the question. Go ahead. <laughs> thank God. I think maybe I'm wondering if she's, no, no, no. I, I think that's coming from the heart. So thank you. Uh, um, when, we, when we, when we brought in, when we brought in Jake, we asked him to, to choose uh, a performer from the cast to, to come in to do this podcast. He clearly yeah. um, picked the one that was, was going to ring the bell. Suck, up, yeah. suck up the hardest. <laughs> good pick, good pick. <laughs> Um, so the, your, the question was essentially, what is, am I, what am I using as an actor well, to bring into it? Well, I've just never it's, seen you as a director before. Yeah. And I, I, don't, not, I don't know that you've directed anything in the community. I have, we won't talk about it okay. because it's, <laughs> okay. but, it was, but I'm not familiar it with a it. dark time and, uh, no, it was, it was fine, but I remember, um, it, to be totally candid, I remember about halfway through when I did do that directing, not too late. This was about four or five. Now it's probably six years ago. 
um, where I had kind of lost faith with the the actress. I could see it in their eyes. I could see the actress <laughs> going, I've given up on you. And I was like, oh, no, I'm losing them. <laughs> um, but it was also a tiring process. We should there was a lot of factors going into that. Um, so there was a little fear and reservation about this process, which I kept to myself. I'm like, no, it's going to be different this time. And I feel like it has been. Um, um, it's been uh, I was surprised at how much fun it was right off the bat. Uh, I remember coming home a few times and just being this is a blast this is a blast and of course there's a, a couple of rehearsals where i get a little worried and i'm like okay we've got some work to do get to the grindstone um but in terms of giving notes or in terms of i feel like it's taught me more as an actor than maybe i'm able to like give any i don't want to say teaching lessons or anything to anybody else i hope they're picking up stuff that's of use for maybe forever but i as an actor i'm seeing stuff going oh, I need to be doing X, Y, and Z as an actor more, or I need to be really focused up on, on my staging or opening up or, or taking my time, exploring more, making more choices, uh, bringing more stuff in for the director to go, yay, nay, yay, nay. Um, Cause personally as an actor, I come in a lot and I'm like, okay, I did it once. Good. Great. That's how I'm going to do it forever. And versus going, all right, we know that works. That door's open. It's a possibility. But I can go explore all of these other doors and come back to this maybe final dress, you know? So I know you as an actor. And I know many of the actors who, who work for a public fit. And there are some actors who work for a public fit who are amazing as actors. But that's that's the role that they they should play, Right. Whereas you, you're very articulate. You you um, are clear when you communicate with people. Also, you're kind. You you're not egotistical. You really care about the people that you're working with, and it's about getting them to uh, live on stage. It's not about you, and everybody directing attention to you. And that's one of those, those things that I'm are describing are, are what make for a really, really, really talented and good director. Why did you choose this play to be part of the season? Why is it, we, you, very, at the very beginning of this podcast, we talked about the humanity of the, of the shows that we were choosing and the inclusion and the, you know, the, the fact that there were a number of people of color in this show and we just felt like a bigger, a bigger range. But this show specifically is, is it's a very dark specific show. So when we were reading the plays over Zoom during COVID and we were all locked down, everybody on the team loved this play. They were like, they love the cynicism and the darkness and the humor. And and, and to, a public fic does a lot of dark plays and not all of them have that element of humor in them. Uh, and even though it may not be, you know, my cup of tea, right? I saw that everybody else was loving it. And I was like, okay, uh, I, we have to put this type of story into our season. And like I said before, there's representation, there's young people, uh, we're reaching a larger audience and the writing is just really, really good. It's yeah, it really, so good. Yeah, it really is <laughs> high quality. Yeah. I remember I, uh, I read as Dean, I think for when we did it over zoom, I think, didn't I? I did. 
Yeah, I'm totally remembering this right. And I'm not inserting this fabricated memory into my own brain. Um, and I remember being like, oh, this line's coming up and uh, uh, reading it beforehand and going, this is I was so shocked by the end of act one. But I also thought the language was so accessible. Like this was a line approaching that. I want to say this so bad because it's got it. it's just so clearly modern. It's so clearly modern. I don't have to search for the subtext of what this line means, uh, even though there is subtext to it. But it's so very clear, at least to me when I read it and at least for the character of Dean. Some of the others, you know, you have to mind for it because these characters are different. But uh, I, I just want to remind everybody out there that that when we keep talking about the Zoom readings over you know, when COVID first happened, we had to cancel our season and literally the second day of rehearsal for Sense and Sensibility. We, we, we pulled the plug. And uh, I think I speak for Emery when I say we thought we were going to be down for two months and then hop back up again, put that show back up and, and, and finish up. And here we are, you know, almost two years later. Um, the uh, So uh, we spent our time as a company at a public fit. We did not want to just shut down completely. And we, we read plays together as a group over Zoom, um, often with just a group of readers, but but frequently as well. We had a couple of people who would just sit in to listen. And then we would, like we do, we would buzz about it afterwards. We, we talk about everything we do. And we spent a lot of time talking about this play when, when we did it. We read over the course of the first lockdown about 45 plays. We have a pretty rich now <laughs> um, understanding of a lot of, of modern shows. We read, we read a lot of plays. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about Zoom. And um, so what, what are the, we talked about the play and I'm going to start with Jake, with yeah. you on this, and then we're going to pull you in, Gabby. I, one of the, there's, I keep saying casual racism. There seems to be an element of casual racism yeah. in the play. Uh, and I want to say right offhand, Brendan Jacobs Jenkins is a playwright of color. Correct. And he's very specific about some of the casting in the show. In fact, Kendra is meant to be Asian. Correct. In the, the language that, that he says in the play, he says she speaks to her mother in um, Chinese or Korean, Korean or, that, you know, that's not really specific, but it's clearly Asian. Yeah. You were a little concerned about that. And I look over at, at Gabby and I kind of see why. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Well, and, and, and look, I'm going to say right now, <laughs> don't, don't write me an email about how horribly racist and non-inclusive we are. This is exactly what inclusion is about. And I think we should talk honestly about it because otherwise- yeah. What's the point? Sure, sure. I I think it was, to be fair, I've always had a little bit of worry around offending anyone, especially in today's culture. That offends for, me, actually. I know. See, I'm okay offending you, oddly fair enough. enough. <laughs> That's fair. That's no, fair. I, it's, it's strange because I'm like, is this right or is it not? And there's a lot of things that people are ignorant to or, or just don't know, uh, you know, some some of the older, I don't want to put labels, but some of the older generation uh, does certain things that gets them in trouble with the younger generation and vice versa. And some of it's a little ridiculous at times. And I go, wow, we're making a lot of these shifts. I'm talking in vague terms again, so I don't offend anyone. Well, let's, let's, let's talk <laughs> but, in specific terms. Let's talk yeah, in real yeah. specific terms. So, so Kendra is meant to be Chinese, Chinese specifically Asian, ideally Chinese or, or Korean. Korean. Correct. Right. And and that was something I knew. Uh, of course, you look through the the casting and you, of course, know the play. And I'm like, OK. And then in my head, I, I was like, I've got this all right. And we saw auditions and uh, G- Gabby had a tremendous audition and um, had on her on uh, on her little questionnaire 
and it stood out to me too because I was so struck by it. She was like, "People think I'm Mexican, um, but I'm." actually Filipino or I'm actually Asian. You said mm-hmm. something along that line. So I went, she's Asian. We're good. Well, You're cast. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's toss that to you, Gabby, because yeah. clearly it was an issue. It's something that you've dealt yeah. with in the past with other casting directors yeah. or producers. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's something I deal with always. Uh, I am somebody, I guess I'm racially ambiguous when you look at me. Otherwise, uh, usually I get that I lean more like Latina. But yeah. I did put that I was Asian on my questionnaire because I knew I wanted Kendra. And I felt like one of my hurdles was going to be that I do not look Chinese. I do not look Korean, but I am Asian. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about Gabby's heritage. What's the, what's the story there? Uh, So I'm half Filipino. My mom is from the Philippines. She moved here when she was 16. And then my other half is Italian. My dad's Italian. So I've grown up just in a mixed household my entire life, but actually a lot of my childhood was predominantly in a Hispanic area. (laughs) So a lot of like my tendencies do lean more Hispanic, right? So I understand why it's confusing for people. (laughs) I mean, like with casting and stuff, it's always, it's been a weird line for me to walk because on one hand, you know, I know that I get put in this Hispanic box. So it's like, do I take these parts from people who are actually Hispanic? And, you know, because no one's looking at me for these Asian parts. Right. You know, it's I'm five foot eight. You know, I don't I don't. My mom is five feet tall. Like if you look at my family, I very much do not look like a standard Filipino. But I mean, I think it's one of my strongest things that I bring to the table as far as something that's out of my control physically is that you don't know what I am. <laughs> and I, I sort of like it. I, sure. I love it. It feels like one of my secret weapons now that I'm older before it definitely didn't. Uh, but yeah, sometimes sometimes it's a hurdle and sometimes it's sometimes it's not. But for Gloria, especially, I did not want it to be. Well, so. And not to be too self-serving, but they're, they're, I think it really serves the play in a couple of moments. Just a, there are a couple of moments in the play where that ambiguity works because characters in the play make some very yeah. clear assumptions yeah, the fortunate, that are wrong. Yeah, the fortunate yeah. thing is no one, she, the character never says, oddly enough, I'm Chinese yeah. uh, heritage or Korean. Right. And there's other people, however, and it's really just one spot yeah. where uh, Dean says, uh, after she talks on her on the phone with her parents in, um, in a foreign language, a foreign language uh-huh. he, he just goes well you just called china or something so <laughs> yeah. we know even if a korean actor was hired in a production he's still got to say yeah. you just called china or something dean is clearly ignorant of, yeah of he's the just language that she's speaking. but it was casual it is it is uh, you know it's very weird it is casual racism because he's right in that moment not about the chinese <laughs> thing but it's like sure. she's being rude not because of her heritage some, somebody so refers strange. to her as a, as a china mother too at some point china oh, yeah, that's tiger, right. tiger, tiger mom tiger mom tiger yeah. mom yeah. that's right yeah and that, yeah. that seems also just sort of casually Again, racist. Again, it's not from Kendra. It's from other people talking about Kendra. So it's, it's, uh, uh, and somebody else corrects that character and goes, oh, no, you're not supposed to say that Does anymore. that serve the play? Not making her, uh, casting someone, as Gabby herself has said, is very ethnically ambiguous, much like myself. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, it's just a bad, <laughs> was a bad bald white guy joke. Um, who, <laughs> someone who is, you know, uh, uh, ethnically ambiguous, 
but is assumed by other characters in the play to be a certain thing. Does that work? I, th- in- I think it does with this play in particular, because there's even a moment with another character, Lauren, where they're when he's not in the room and they're trying to peg down, is he Jewish? Is he gay? Is he this? Is he that? People are always trying to come up with other people's stories for them. So to have that ambiguity, I think across the board is, is beneficial because people, the suffering is caused by people trying to figure people out. If I can figure you out, then I don't need to think about myself is is really kind of one of the major themes for me when I read the play. As long as I keep the uh, focus and attention on other people and them being the problem, whether it be uh, millennials or the the, you know, gender differences or whatever. And it's not my internal struggle, then I'll be OK. Do you feel like if people had taken the time to figure out Gloria a little early on in the process, we might not have a play here. She might not have gone through. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's arguable that if more people had gone to her party, I'd, I hate to say that because I mean, it's a fictitious world. We can say whatever we want, but have more people come to her party. That probably wouldn't have happened. It's sad to think that way, but, uh, and how many times in life, uh, you know, is that the case where if you had just said one thing to one person or just had a one different interaction gone down different set of a road, you'd have been a different place completely and it's random it's chaos but it's true so i'm sorry did i talk a lot on that one gabby what do you want to add in i'm sorry (laughs) i I don't think i have anything else to add other than you know i'm glad we looked past the filipino thing that's really cool i'm also glad that i get to speak to galog that was something that was important to me uh when i saw that written in the play that they wanted the character to talk on the phone, either in Chinese or Korean. It was important to me that I was able to speak to Golog and, you know, it's dialogue that I'm getting straight from my mom. So like that part of it is cool too. Just she to doesn't like, get a playwright credit. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, just to be able, you know, to have that. And cause I know that some people don't even know like what a Filipino is. I used to have a boss that said she did not meet a Filipino person until 10 years ago. And Holy I was cow. like, ah, it's who I am. So, uh, uh, but yeah. yeah. Well, I'll just say that uh, that our um, declared uh, position at a public fit is that we cast the best actors for the best roles, and when they show up, we we cast them. So that's that's part of how that landed it as well. That we got really lucky on this one. And I, I think that's it for this episode of Behind the Buzz, APF's continuing conversation about the work that we do. This was season two, episode two. And and I want to thank Jake Staley and Gabrielle Civaroli for joining us today to talk about Gloria by Brendan Jacobs Jenkins. If you enjoy these conversations, well, I assume you've already subscribed. I mean, (laughs) why wouldn't you? But have you taken the time to give us a quick review? You know, your, your feedback not only allows us to improve upon the podcast, it also helps other listeners across the web discover these discussions and join the APF conversation. You can contact us directly through the old email by writing us at behindthebuzz at apublicfit.org. And you can visit us online there as well, apublicfit.org. We love to hear from you. And, and frankly, um, talking about the work is really one of the favorite things uh, that we do here. Behind the Buzz is a product of a public fit theater company. It is mixed and edited by Diane Walton and is produced in association with Giant Leap Industries, Adam Paul Director, slash Demi Gorgon. A production of Giant Leap Industries. 